Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Choosing to be a parent is choosing to make a covenant to bring our children to God. Choosing to have a church in L.A. is choosing to bring our children to God. And you know, when I first started this series, I was a little concerned how you would respond to a parenting series. And what I have found is that parenting is a tent revival in the 21st century because no one wants their children to turn out like they did. Amen? 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 I know some of your testimonies. (laughs) And we're going to make a choice to see how our Father parents us. We can choose to follow in His footsteps. We can meander in the mess that men have created. Or we can make a mess and with this series, redeem the record with righteousness. Parent, listen. Child, listen. It's never too late for a parent or a child. Well, following in the Father's footsteps, we noted five things that we want to review. Five things. Take a look at the screen. The importance of nurturing relationships. The power of godly communication. We talked about those last week. Now, this week, the vitality of honor and authority. The discipleship of discipline. And finally today, the gift of teaching skills all found in the Father's footsteps. Let's take a look at the first, the vitality of honor and authority. Every parent, every parent has a desire for their child to be successful. It transcends in every single culture. And the Bible gives us the sole guarantee for a child's success story. It's Ephesians chapter 6. Take a look at the screen, verse 1. Ephesians 6, verse 1, children... Obey your parents in the Lord. Let all the parents say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Children, say it with me. Obey your parents. I'm so proud of you guys. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. Look, parents, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Let me tell you something. God makes true on his promises. And he says that it may go well. This word is the word prosperous. And like the apostle John, when we pray for our children, we pray that it would go well. Look what John said in 3 John chapter, um, excuse me, there are no chapters in 3 John. 3 John verse 1. Look, the elder to the beloved Gaius, one of his kids in the Lord. Whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper, listen to his prayer, in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Is that not a reality? 
There's nothing greater than to know that your kids are walking in truth, but there's nothing more sorrowful when they're not. But John's desire, as all of ours, his prayer was that his kids would be successful, and honor is the pathway to success. So, we have this desire as believers because this is the desire of our Father. So I want us to see how our Father teaches honor by choosing, listen carefully, to be the authority. It's Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to pick it up in verse 6. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? And I have noted with this, just as a side note, that when people are angry, they are usually, very, they are usually depressed. Why are you angry? Why are you so sad? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Listen to our father talking to his son, Cain. Let me tell you about Cain. Cain was the joy of his parents. In fact, his name means, I got him. And Eve named him this because she believed that Cain was going to be the one that would crush the serpent's head. So she named him, I got him. Now let me tell you what Abel's name, Abel's name means. Are you ready? It means this. Eh. Think if that was your name. Eh. And every time your mom called you, eh. And every time your mom called Cain, I got him. I got him. Think of growing up in that family community. And at this point in human history, God had established already a sacrificial system. And what you would do is you would take your offering, most likely, to the entrance of the Garden of Eden, where the angels stood. And you would take your offering, the firstborn of the flock, and there you would give it to the Lord. Now, most likely, this tradition had established because when Adam and Eve walked out of the garden, God killed a little lamb, put it on them as clothes, and they walked out covered in the blood of the lamb. They walked out into the world covered in the blood as a sign and as a symbol. It covered over their shame in the same way that Jesus covers over us. Now Cain, he decided, I'm not bringing a lamb anymore because I'm a gardener. And I'm bringing apples and I'm bringing bananas and I'm bringing peaches. And I don't care what God has asked us to do. I'm going to bring what I want to bring. And he chose to rebel against the Lord. Parents, sound familiar? I'm not going to do what my mom and dad are telling me to do. I'm not going to come home at midnight. I'm... (laughs) How many of us have had this experience where we give our children a direction and they go the exact opposite of our direction? Let the parents say... Willful disobedience willful defiance, willful disrespect, and any parent at this point feels justified to fly off the handle. Let the parents say, Amen. 
No, don't say amen to that. I know that felt good, but don't do it. But that's not how the father approached this. No, he is the authority. And he comes to Cain, knowing what's going on. He's very calm. He's very cool. He's collect. He's the authority. Because God would leave no room for Cain to doubt him that he is the authority. He would leave no room for Cain to question if God flew off the handle for Cain to question his authority. Cain has defied, and then what Cain does? Cain defies God's warning. In fact, God set up the boundary. Sin is asking for you, man, but don't go there. And Cain goes, oh, really? I'm not going to listen to you. I'm taking my brother out to my garden. I'm going to hit him over the head with a rock. And he kills his brother when God told him not to. So God shows up and says, hey, where's your brother? And Cain goes, am I my brother's keeper? Anyone ever had attitude from your kid? Let the parents say, oh, so your kid's sitting next to you. That's why you don't want to say it. (laughs) Am I my brother's keeper? Have you ever said that to the Lord? And God asks you to do something? I'm not God, okay? I can't forgive like you do. And he comes off with a little bit of attitude. Am I my brother's keeper? And Cain's heart didn't honor his father, and this was his father's greatest concern because a lack of honor leads to a lack of success. Parents, did you hear that? A lack of honor leads to a lack of success, and every parent wants their child to be successful. So God disciplines Cain. And the father disciplines Cain by taking away his prosperous agricultural green thumb. This would be like removing John Deere from tractors. Now, we're from L.A., and some of you are going, now, who's John Deere? (laughs) Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. Take a look. Genesis chapter 4 now, verse 13. So he takes him away. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Ever heard this before? (laughs) You can't ground me. Not on prom. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. God, if you do this, everyone's going to know that I killed Abel. And it's my brothers and sisters. And they know your law. So if you let everyone know that I'm the one that killed him, Well, God, they're going to kill me. This isn't fair, God. Ever heard this? But God wanted his success. So he took away the very thing that made him defiant, his pride. Because his desire was he would become honorable. And here is Cain. He's entered the control battle. God, this isn't fair. I don't like what you're doing. And he's challenging the authority of God, but the Lord is the authority. Now I want you to see God's response. And the Lord said to him, verse 15, Therefore, whoever kills Cain's vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. 
And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Hey, hey Cain, you're punished. No matter how much you whine, no matter how much you want to enter into the control battle, me, I am the authority. I love you. So I'm going to put this mark on you to protect you because that's what a parent does. But I'm not arguing with you. I'm not debating with you. I am the authority. You're not going to pull me into your attitude. I'm not going to respond the way that you do. You are punished, and I love you. He chose to act as the authority because he wanted to teach him through authority what honor is. Now, you could choose to go the way of the father, or you could choose to go the way of a different father. His name was Eli, the high priest, the senior pastor of all of Israel. Take a look. It's 1 Samuel 3.13. Would you look at the screen? I've told him. Now, God is speaking to Samuel and letting him know something about Eli. I've told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. He knows what his kid is doing, and he's not doing anything about it. He knows because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. Eli was the high priest of Israel, and the boys were serving alongside with him. But the boys were far from honorable. They were devious. And they were using their position to get a hot date. And when a woman would come with her daddy and they would give their sacrifice, they would look at that woman and go, Hey, babe, you know I'm going to be the high priest one day. You probably want to be my wife. Ooh, girl, you look good. Why don't you put your sacrifice over here? And then, that wasn't it. God had a portion that was just for him. But what they would do is, well, we don't like dark meat. We like, well, we like, we like the breast. We like the white meat. So uh, we're going to take the best part of the lamb, and we're not going to take the leg because, listen, who wants the leg? We want the tenderloin, okay? Like, um, come on, God, give us a break. It's just a tenderloin. We're not going to give you what you're asking us to do. We're going to rebel against you. So Eli shows up on the scene as the story goes, and Eli goes, hey, boys, what you're doing is not good. Could you pass some of that tenderloin? <laughs> hey, boys, what you're doing is not good. Can I have a little big, a bigger piece, please? Hey, boys, I don't like what you're doing, so you need to stop it. But could you just cook my tenderloin a little bit medium rareish? You see, he was telling them what to do, but he was eating the food along with them. That's what the Bible means when it says didn't restrain. He was actually enjoying what he shouldn't be eating. In fact, he enjoyed it so much, the Bible says he got obese that when he heard that his boys died in battle, take a look at the screen, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 17. So the messengers came and answered and said, Israel's fled before the Philistines, and there's been a great slaughter among the people. And your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, just like God said. And the ark of God has been captured. 
Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the sea backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. He is so big that when he hears the news, he goes, oh my goodness, and his head literally snaps his neck. He was eating the tenderloin. He chose to compromise. But while Eli had given direction, his deeds were far from honorable, and his kids knew it. Take a look at these two verses. It's Proverbs 29. The servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. Hey, I don't do that, Pastor Tenderloin. Hey, don't you talk like that, but can we watch a rated R movie? Hey, don't you act like that, but yet they see it. A a servant's not corrected by mere words. Now take a look at Hebrews 12.6. For whom the Lord loves, our Father, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So instead of teaching honor by his deeds, he instilled rebellion. Be careful. You see, there's a tendency in the 21st century world for parents to be friends instead of being parents. There's a tendency to give to our children because we don't want to engage in the control battle, which we don't have to, So we just give so that it can end their temper tantrum no matter how old they are. Choosing to gain a friendship is not choosing to disciple. And choosing to gain a friendship by not disciplining, that's choosing to teach rebellion, which limits their success. You see, we might be teaching our children But how do we dishonor the Lord in our own lives? What's the music that we listen to? And teenagers will say, this music is not affecting me. Really? Have you read the statistics of premarital sex in high school? This music's not affecting me. This has been a plight against God's people since Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says that when they brought the godly Jewish boys into Nebuchadnezzar's house, they let them listen to music to win them over to Babylonian culture. The devil has been using things like this for a long time. Now, I am not saying that guitars are from hell. We got them on stage. And I love drums. And I love a beat. But what are we listening to? What is the music that is filling? What is what allowing our kids to watch? What are we choosing to do that could be a little bit like Eli? And so maybe it's time to redeem the record with righteousness. You see, God did with Jacob. God did with Jacob. Our father saw what was happening with Jacob. Let me tell you the story. Jacob's mother was far from honorable. Far from honorable. She taught Jacob to deceive daddy and take the blessing from Esau. She taught him what to do. The mom taught the son how to be devious. Remember I said when we began this study that there's not a lot of good parenting techniques in the Bible. And what we do is that God exposes some of the bad parenting techniques and he then gives his word in how he then redeems it. 
Well, when Esau finds out, he wants to kill Jacob. So Jacob runs for his life to a place called Luz, and God gives him a vision of what he could become. Take a look. It's Genesis 28, verse 15. It's on the screen. Behold, God says to Jacob, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. I'm going to be your dad, and I'm stepping in because your mom taught you deceitfulness, and I'm putting you on a journey, Jacob, and when you come back from that journey, I am purposed to teach you honor by being your authority, and I'm going to put you on this journey, and when you return, when you return, And what God did was he took Jacob on a journey of faith to make him honorable. And I love God's discipline. He disciplines the son he loves. I love how creative he is. Let me tell you about my kids. My son, AJ, if we put him in timeout, he'd be like, thank God I get get to go away by myself from all these eight other siblings. He loved timeout. He would do things to go to timeout. Because he just loved to be away from the chaos of eight other kids. So you know what we did? I would give him a Vons bag. And I would say, AJ, go out in the backyard. Until this bag is filled with weeds, don't come back in. (laughs) But my son, Micaiah? He couldn't stand to be away from the ground. He's got FOMO. FOMO, okay? Fear of missing out. He could not stand time out, okay? If I gave him a bag to go get weeds, he would turn the weeds into an art project. It would be something like, whoa, look what I created here. But to put him in his room at time out, oh, as soon as I said, Go to timeout for seven minutes. <gasps> Dad, you're destroying my life. <laughs> I learned this from God because he disciplines each one of us so differently. So, Jacob, because you deceived your dad, your uncle Laban is going to deceive you. And because you tricked your dad, your children are going to trick you at Shechem. And it's going to cost you your freedom. I'm putting you on a journey, Jacob. And though you wrestle with me, and though, Jacob, you throw a temper tantrum with me, I'm going to rename you Israel because I'm putting you on a journey to learn honor. And I'm going to make you lean on a crutch for the rest of your life to remind you that you've got to lean on me. And though you wrestle with me, I'm still sending you to your brother Esau to apologize. I'm the authority, and I want to see your success, and you are far from honorable. So I'm going to be creative in my discipline, and I'm going to take you back to Esau. When we adopted my son Emmanuel, he was nine years old. He'd been fighting in a war since he was five years old. His brothers had conscripted him into the battle, and his job during the war was to go and get weapons from the front line and bring them back to his brothers. That was his job. And there was one village that he wreaked havoc. And my son needed to be healed. 
So I took my son at nine years old back to that village to apologize. Dad, if you take me there, they're going to kill me. Son, they will kill me first. And while they're killing me, you run. But you're going back to apologize. And I gathered the entire village, and I met them there in the church. And I brought Emmanuel up, and he looked at every single one, and he said, I'm sorry for what I did. The room was silent, as silent as it is here. And one by one, they forgave him. And my son was healed. It was the most difficult thing. I stood there going, okay, Emmanuel's got an announcement. And I had promised my son they'll kill me first. But let me tell you something. I'm like, <laughs> doing this thing. And I stood there in front of a hundred people of whom he had killed family members. So listen, when you come to me with your parenting problems, I guarantee I got a story that I could take you down. (laughs) Nothing would surprise me. But are you willing to lay down your life to be the authority for your kid? It will teach them how to be honorable, and that will give them success. Now... Number two, number two, the discipleship of discipline. We can follow in the Father's steps. Number number two, the discipleship of discipline. You see, the word discipline, unfortunately, has become synonymous with punishment. Synonymous with it. Grounding, taking something away, even spanking your child. It seems like when you mention the word discipline, it's become a naughty word. Yet, The greatest form of discipline is captured in the words of Jesus. Listen carefully. Make disciples. That's our job. That's our job at Kid Life. That's our job in your home. That's your job in your home, to make disciples. We're not raising children. We are raising soldiers. We are raising adults. We are raising 30- and 40-year-old responsible people. We are called to make disciples. Now, let me tell you about the disciples. They were a motley crew at best. They fought over position. No, I'm going to be vice president. No, I'm going to be vice president. (laughs) You couldn't be vice president. You, You can't even put your head on in the morning. I mean, just imagine what the argument was. They argued with each other all the time. They were jealous of each other and jealous of anyone else that came to Jesus. They often thought they had a better plan than Jesus, and they questioned him on everything. Yet, Jesus was committed to making disciples, making them mature, giving them the keys to the kingdom, making them spiritual men. Christ had to discipline them to be mature physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. In his own words, Listen, parents, Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Everyone who is perfectly trained, did you see it, will be like his teacher. There's two two messages there. One, the teacher has to be someone to be like. And the second message is we need to train. We need to train our children. You see, in this Christ redefines discipline from a form of punishment to a type of training. And Jesus, he would set the example in word, 
in deed, and in conduct. He would, listen carefully, use every obstacle that his child presented, the disciples, every obstacle as an opportunity to train. Every obstacle became an opportunity. He would use every experience and situation to make it a classroom to teach. You see, as Christian parents, we have the same job to raise up spiritually mature men and women. Our job is to teach, is to discipline them on how to have a successful godly life. Now, let me tell you what it includes. It includes teaching them how to brush their teeth. It includes teaching them how to use the toilet. It includes teaching them how to walk. And it includes teaching them how to pay rent. It includes teaching them how to do a budget. It includes teaching them how to open a bank account. Everything in life can be used to train a child. Each situation, each circumstance of life is an occasion to train. So are you going to pull your hair out or are you going to use the opportunity? Are you going to choose to let this thing push you over the edge or realize you missed something? And it's time to train. Now, you can meander in the mess. You can. Let me tell you a story. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Saul and David aren't getting along. Okay? The children of Israel, they they started this song. Here's the song, okay? Hey, there's Saul. He's killed his thousands. But David, David's killed his ten thousands. And Saul, when he heard this song, what do you mean David's killed his ten thousands? I've killed ten thousands. I mean, do you know what I've done for this nation? Oh, there's David. He's so good looking. Look how strong he is. The Bible says that he had a great figure and he was a good looking guy. And then there's Saul. Well, why is David so good looking? I'm the king. Saul could play the harp. Kumbaya, my lord. Kumbaya. Saul couldn't sing. So Saul got mad. He got so mad that now he wants David gone. And there's this huge party, and David knows that Saul's mad. Now that's where we pick it up in our story. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 25. Now the king sat at his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan, this is Saul's son, Jonathan rose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. Abner was like the, the, the military guru. But David's place was, uh, was, David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He's unclean. Surely he's unclean. It happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission to, of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please, let me go. For our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he's not come to the king's table. And Saul's anger was aroused. Uh-oh. Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Woo. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of your mother's nakedness? 
For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send him, bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What's he done? Then Saul cast a spear at his son to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food and was grieved for his friend David. Ever thrown a spear? You ever gotten so mad at your kid that you hurled something their direction? Some kind of, some kind of object or some kind of word? Now, none of us would admit it in California. But Saul's anger had taken over his rational thinking, and he was no longer in his right mind. And all he did was make his son angry. Tell you a story, friend of mine. Let's call his little girl Sally. Sally was about six years old, so he tells me. And Sally was, well, a rambunctious little girl. So they had come up with a great plan that when dad would go to work, mom, they had formed some kind of discipline structure. And every time she would go to discipline Sally, she would pray with Sally. Well, Sally woke up in the morning. She was in a bad mood. So when she woke up and saw her two-year-old brother, she passed right by him, took her doll, and just hit him with it. Time for discipline. She prayed and then put Sally in timeout. Sally comes out of timeout, and it's breakfast time. At breakfast time, she don't like grits. She don't like eggs. So she takes her grits, and she throws them at her mother. Mother prays, and then takes Sally to timeout. Well, on the way, Sally takes a crayon, and on the brand-new wallpaper that Dad had just put up, she just marks all the way to the room. Mom prays. And disciplines her and says, okay, you've got 10 more minutes. As Sally is in the room, she finds a little rip in the wallpaper, and she begins to pull it off the wall. Mom walks in the room in seven minutes, and mom prays and disciplines her again. Sally comes out, and Sally has had it with mom. So she walked right over to mom's favorite vase that she got from her grandmother, picked it up, and threw it down. Sally's mom lost all consciousness. (laughs) And she stormed over to Sally. And Sally realized, "Uh uh-oh. And at five years old, as mom is coming with a vengeance, she looks at mom and goes, we should pray. This snapshot of Saul's life, it strongly illustrates the negative impact of sinful anger on our children. Because no longer was Jonathan the second in command of all of Israel. He's now son of a perverse, rebellious woman. That's who he is in Saul's anger. 
He had gotten to the point of rage, and all it did was enrage Jonathan. Anger was not producing any good fruit. Saul gave into his flesh, and the impact is devastating. Now, I'm sure that most of you in this room have never lost your cool with your parents, with your children. I'm sure most of you in here. But for those of us who may have, there is redemption. Paul redeemed. It's Acts chapter 15. Once again, you don't need to turn there. Paul and Barnabas, they got into a fight over John Mark. John Mark he, got, he became a wimp on their first missionary trip, and he left, and Barnabas wanted to bring him back, and, and Paul said, no way. The Bible says they got in such a bitter dispute about it that they parted their ways. Paul took Silas, and Barnabas took Mark. I'm out of here. But Barnabas made a decision, I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest into John Mark. I'm going I'm to purpose This fight was so bad. Now, let's make them, okay, I know in our day and age that this is probably not the greatest illustration and understanding, but let's make them, okay, two people that are trying to invest into one young man. Paul says, I've had it. I'm not going to train him. I'm done with this kid. Barnabas says, I'm going to continue. 2 Timothy 4.11, take a look at the screen. Time passes, about 20 years, and I want you to see what Paul says. Only Luke is with me, and Paul's about to die. Get Mark, get John Mark. Bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. John Mark made a very big mistake. But Barnabas said, I'm the authority. And the authority doesn't give up. The authority purposes to invest. The authority doesn't get mad and angry and give up and hurl spears. The authority chooses to continue despite the behavior. Paul gave up. And this verse is Paul's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Church, redeeming the record is purposing to apologize if you've had a bitter dispute or you've thrown a spear. Let your children see when you do something wrong, apologize. I'm sorry. I blew it. Would you please forgive me? And I don't care if it's been five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that you haven't called your child. Call them and say, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. We just need to be in relationship. Finally, finally, the gift of teaching life skills. Would you go with me to Genesis chapter 6? Genesis chapter 6. One last story as we close. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Once again, let's take a look at how our father knows the importance of teaching life skills. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Verse 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Sounds like the 21st century. So God, 
And let me remind you, as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 13, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence, and through them, and behold, I will destroy, with, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark. I'm going to give you an important life skill here, Noah. Make it of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark. You shall finish it a cubit from above and set the door of the ark on its side. You shall make it with a lower second and third deck. And behold... I myself am going to bring the floodwaters on the earth. Look what God chooses to do. He chooses to give Noah a favor. Because that's what means when Noah found grace with the Lord. And the favor was a life skill to survive. God gave the very practical means for Noah's survival. He, gave him the, he delivered to him the blueprints of the ark. And it saved him. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at the screen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, so he heard the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. God gave Noah the life skills to survive. God knew exactly what Noah needed for survival, and God has equipped the Christian parent with everything they need to teach their children. He's given us his word. God provided each detail. He told them a window. He told them three decks. He gave them the exact pattern, and Noah survived. God's given parents blueprints. He has given us the way to successfully raise our children. There there is no need for insecurity of what life skills do. Jesus said, follow me. I know some of us are like, well, what would I teach them? What, what What will I give them? No, no, no. Jesus says, follow me. His word is the explicit direction, like he gave Noah explicit direction, his word is the explicit direction to invest into our children. When our kids were young, we used to read them the word because it's the only perfect thing that you can do as a parent. Psalm chapter 19, take a look. If you're concerned about how to raise a kid, look at the promise. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's got everything you need. Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Listen, parent, Making wise the simple. If you don't think you know what you're doing, God agrees with you. And he says, don't worry about it. Get in the word. It can help you out. That's what he says. It can make wise the simple. But parent, we need to be diligent. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the greatest thing that you can do as a parent is to study Scripture. In 2 Timothy 2, study to show yourself approved. Dig into the Word. Don't let the time it takes to raise your children pull you from your time with the Lord. Find it. 
because here's what the word says. It's 2 Peter chapter 1. God makes a promise about his word. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things, not some things, all things that pertain to life, everything you need, every life skill you need is in the word and how to be spiritual, godliness. Through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us by glory and virtue. That's why Jesus says, just follow me. God has given us everything. And our job as parents is to give our children everything. Now, let me tell you something, parent. God told Noah he got 120 years to build the ark. And he's given us about 18 to 25 years to invest life skills into our children. Our children need a plan. They need a blueprint for success of boundaries, rules, and regulations. And I know your high standard is going to get them mocked at school. I know that your high standard is going to have their friends make fun of them. Ask Noah. He understands. But none of Noah's friends survived. Noah did. Amen? Amen. Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. So grateful. So grateful for you. That you've given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name. Church, tomorrow is Memorial Day. My family is a gold star family. My brother died giving his life for this country. He was an F-18 naval fighter pilot. And so, when I say thank you for the sacrifices that have been made for our freedoms. I want you to know tomorrow will not be just barbecue and hanging out for me. It will be giving gratitude to God for the lives that have been lost for the sake of you being able to sit in church and hear the word of God. Now listen up, kids and parents. Three months after my brother died, I found my father dead in the backyard. He literally died of a broken heart. That's medically how he died. His heart just broke. There was such a connection and a bond, father and son. And I've made it a plight because I didn't know my dad was going to die. And the Navy showed up at our door. I didn't know my brother was going to die. And I made it a plight in my life, like John the Baptist 
to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Are you surprised that in our country, close to 40% of kids are growing up without a dad? And that's not a mark on a single mom. We applaud you. It's a mark of how the enemy wants to destroy kids. And it's the church's opportunity to come around single moms, to be a big brother and to be a dad. That's our opportunity. Because Timothy, he didn't have a spiritual dad, so God sent Paul, and Paul raised him in the Lord. But maybe you're sitting here today And your family needs God. Because you do. You can meander in the mess. You can stay there. You can stay in the place of letting your family be messy. Or you can choose to redeem the record. And today I want to give you an opportunity to redeem that record by making a public stand as parent or child. And I say this from experience. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Do you know how many times I wish I could do one more I love you, Dad? One more. How you doing, Matthew? My brother. Because we always think we got another day. So we allow the mess, we meander in the mess because we think we just got one more day. What if it was today? What would you do to make it right? Well, the first thing you could do is make it right with God. Then he will give you the power and the strength because you weren't right with God. So God took the initiative, like I'm asking you, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that your relationship with him, because relationship is everything to God, When Jesus rebuked the church, he says, listen, you're doing a lot of great stuff to the church in Ephesus. But then he said this, get back to your first love. We're out of relationship. Maybe it's time for you. So I'm opening up this altar of parents and kids. And you need to make your relationship with God right and change the mess of your family. I don't care who you are. I don't care. You've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. Or you're coming to God for the very first time. You get up out of your seat and you make a bold declaration today. I'm making a difference in my home. We're redeeming the record with righteousness. Gannon's going to lead us in song. You get up out of your seat. Church, we're in prayer because families need to be restored in L.A. County. Because God established the family. The family is the basis of community. And from the family, revival will spur. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.